Hey, thank you for taking time to watch this video message. Our prayer for you is that God would use this message in a profound way to impact your life. If you're somebody that's had your life impacted by the ministry here at Crosspoint, we would love for you to share your story with us. Simply send us an email at mystory@crosspointcity.com and let us know about what God has done in your heart. And lastly, if you need more information about the ministry here at Crosspoint, simply go to crosspointcity.com and you can find everything listed there. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys. Didn't even notice we lost an hour of sleep. How about you? Hey, it's great to be here. Uh, man, looking forward to today. Uh, before we get going in the message, uh, I just have one quick thing for you, all right? Uh, it's kind of quick. Listen, we're four weeks away from Easter weekend. How insane is that? It's already here. And uh, there's some information I want to give you about Easter weekend so that you can go ahead and start preparing now, okay? Uh, that weekend, we're going to have six gatherings for you to choose from. And you can see them up on the screens Friday, April 3rd at 7, uh, Saturday, April the 4th at 4.30 and 6. And then we're going to do Sunday, three gatherings in the morning, 8.30, 10, 11.30, uh, we're not going to do our normal gatherings at night just because we want our staff and all of our serve team volunteers to be able to be with their families that day. And so uh, here's kind of why we're doing the services the way we're doing them. All right, Friday, we want all of you that are heading out of town for spring break not to miss Easter at Cross Point. All right, so we're giving you an opportunity to be here. Uh, our students are actually traveling out of the country that Saturday to go to Nicaragua. So uh, we're providing this opportunity for people like them. So that they can still come. And so if that's you, make plans to be here Friday night at 7, all right? And invite people to join you. Uh, 4.30 and 6.30, we need a ton of you to come then. Uh, if you're a regular cross point attender and it works with your schedule to come on Saturday night, please come on Saturday night. We're expecting the largest crowds to be here on Sunday. And we want to provide room for everyone. We don't have to uh, want to turn anyone away. So if it works for you to come on Saturday evening, come on Saturday evening to one of those two uh, gathering times, and then obviously Sunday is, is Sunday, okay? Now, a couple things about Easter that I want to get in front of you. The first thing is this. We want you to be diligent and intentional about inviting someone to Easter with you at Cross Point this year. But people are more open to coming to church this time of year than any other time of year, and so all we're saying to you is take advantage of that. Right? Invite someone to, to join you and bring them with you to whatever gathering time uh, you're going to come to. And uh, we're going to have invite cards starting next Sunday so that it makes it really easy on you to extend an invite. All right, So be on the lookout for that. And then the other thing is this. On, uh, on Easter weekend, we're going to have baptism celebrations at every gathering. And so if you know Jesus, but you've never taken that step to be baptized... We'd love for you to take that step then. What a great weekend to do it, right? On the weekend that we celebrate Jesus rising from the dead, uh, what a great weekend to celebrate the fact that he's risen you up from the dead spiritually and, and made you into a new person. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, all you need to do is stop by the connection desk to sign up for baptism before you leave today, or you can actually go online to crosspointcity.com slash baptism and you can sign up there, okay? Well, look, today we're closing out the series that we've been in for the last few weeks, and uh, I want to remind you one final time of the big question that we have been working to answer in this series. Here it is. How do I say no to sin when I want to say yes? 
Now, with that question in mind, once again, I want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles, and I want you to turn back over to Matthew chapter 4 with me. Matthew chapter 4. Uh, about a year after my wife and I got married, we decided to move to Miami, Florida to help a good friend of mine start a church. And because it was a new church with no people and no money, we all had to get other jobs so that we could actually eat and have places to live. Well, I ended up getting a job in business sales. And it turned out that I was pretty good at it. At 24 years old, I was making more money than I've made in my entire life. I was making six figures. I was driving a brand new car, living in a condo on Miami Beach. Like I could literally walk out of my condo, cross the street, and I was on the sand. Uh, We were hanging out in South Beach every weekend, buying what we wanted to buy, eating at any restaurant we wanted to eat at. I mean, we really weren't denying ourselves of too much those days. But here's what's crazy. I was miserable. More miserable than I've ever been in my entire life. So miserable, in fact, that I remember my wife looking at me one day and she said, James, something's got to change because I can't keep living with you if this is how you're going to act day in and day out. Listen, maybe you can identify with me in that. Maybe you're the person that's walked in and, and you've continued to buy into the lie that our culture promotes and sells all the time, which is that the more you have, the happier you'll be. And maybe right now you have more than you need, more than you know what to do with, but you're no happier for it. Can I tell you why that's true? The reason's simple, and I learned this lesson firsthand during those days in South Florida. It's because true joy in life was never meant to be found in what you have, but in who you have. And in this final temptation that Jesus faced, which is a temptation we all face day in and day out, This is what the devil wanted him to miss. And we're going to pick up and start reading in verse 8 together. I'm going to show you, okay? Look, Matthew 4, starting in verse 8, here's what the Bible says. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, before we walk through these verses, uh, I think it's worth mentioning that this final temptation was the hardest of the three. And we have to believe that the devil planned it that way. You see, unlike temptations one and two, in which the devil simply appealed to Jesus' imagination in hopes that he'd sin, in temptation three, he actually puts in front of him all that could be his. Now, look, here's why that's important. It reminds us that as we resist the devil, and as we say no to temptation, he's always gonna come back at us with greater force. He's not gonna stop trying, he's actually gonna try harder, but but look, that's okay. As we've learned throughout the series, if we are aware of his schemes, he cannot outwit us. God has given us all that we need in order order to, to overcome sin and temptation, and regardless of how hard the enemy may try, he is still powerless in our lives because of who we are in Christ, and we should take great joy in that. Now, look, with that being said, let's walk through these verses. I want to show you uh, what these mean and what they mean for us, all right? The Bible tells us that in the final temptation, the devil takes Jesus to this high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he says to Jesus, all that you're looking at can be yours and it can be yours right now. But when you read this same account in the book of Luke chapter 4, you find the devil actually saying to Jesus, Jesus, all this, all these kingdoms, they've been delivered to me. 
He's referencing his status as the God of this world or as the ruler of this world, as the Bible calls him. And he's saying, Jesus, because all this has been delivered to me, I can give it to whoever I want to give it to. And Jesus, the person I want to give it to is you. Can you imagine what that must have been like? I mean, think about it like this. Imagine someone took you up in a helicopter and they flew you over New York City. And they said to you, this city, I want to give it to you. All of its power, all of its people, all of its affluence, all of its greatness, I want it to be yours. And imagine then that they flew you to every major city in the world and they said the exact same thing. That sounds tempting, doesn't it? But here's the catch. In order to claim that offer, you would have to literally lay your life down before that other person. You would have to completely submit yourself and surrender yourself to them. You see, that's what the devil wanted from Jesus. That was the trade-off. Jesus, all these kingdoms and all of their glory can be yours right now. But Jesus, first, I'm going to need you to fall down and worship me. If you take a note, look, here's what this third temptation is all about. Self-exaltation. That's what it's about. The devil was tempting Jesus to lift himself up to make himself great. He tempted Jesus to establish his value and his worth in the earth apart from God on his own. And can I tell you, man, he tempts us to do the same each and every day. And some of us know this, don't we? The devil will preach at us. Make yourself great. Lift yourself up. Exalt yourself. Elevate yourself above other people. Establish your worth and your value and your significance. And as he's preaching those things to us, he's actually in our ears saying the same thing he said to Jesus. Hey, I can help you, by the way. What what do you need? What, What do you need in order to exalt yourself? You need more money? You need more stuff? Uh, Do you need a new spouse, a new family, uh, some new friends? Do you need a new job title, a new position at at work? What is it that you need? I'd love to give you whatever it is that you need in order to exalt yourself. But just know before I give it to you, uh, you're going to need to bow down and worship me. Now look, I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that the majority of us in this room would never label ourselves Satan worshipers. Is that a safe assumption? Look, if you are, that's fine, and we're glad that you're here. We're just praying God does something in your life. But, but I think most of us would say, no, that's not me. But, but look, I wonder how many of us in the room today are unknowingly worshiping him as a result of giving in to this temptation of self-exaltation. In order to help you figure that out, I, I want us together to consider uh, two things based on what Jesus asks, I'm sorry, based on what the devil asks from Jesus in this passage. And the first thing is this, if you're taking notes, everyone bows to someone. Everyone bows to someone. When you bow to a person, it is an act of submission. It's a sign that you are placing yourself under that person's authority. And the question we all need to wrestle through in the next few minutes is this, who am I bowing to? According to what the Bible teaches in places like 1 John 3.10, there are only two answers to that question. You are either bowing to God, your father, or you're bowing to your father, the devil. And look, I know that some of us, when we hear that, your father, the devil, James, what are you talking about? Sounds weird to think of the devil as a father. But can I tell you, that's exactly who he wants you to believe that he is for you. And we see evidence of this in all the temptations of Jesus. Think about what he offered him. 
He offered him first his provision. He offered him secondly a form of protection. And in this third temptation, he's offering him an inheritance. All that belongs to me, Jesus, I want to give to you. These are all things that a father would offer a son. These are all things that that God the Father had already promised to give to his son Jesus long before he came into this world. He promised not only his provision and his protection, but he told Jesus, I'm going to give you an inheritance. But Jesus first would have to go to the cross to lay his life down for your sins and mine. And do you know what God's inheritance was for Jesus after doing that? Look, all the kingdoms of the earth and their glory. That's what he promised him. And do you know what's amazing? God offers us as sons and daughters all of those same things. Look, we've already learned over the last couple of weeks that God promises us if we'll live in faithfulness and obedience to him to provide for us, to offer us the protection we need from our enemy. But do you also know that God wants to offer you an inheritance? It's unreal. Galatians 4, 7 calls us heirs of God if we know Christ. Meaning that all of God's promises and all of God's stuff belongs to us. Do you know that when we show up in his eternal kingdom one day, we're not showing up as guests We're showing up as loved sons and daughters. And because we're showing up as loved sons and daughters, all that belongs to our Father will be ours. And as if that wasn't enough, the Bible tells us in Revelation 2 that we will actually rule and reign over all that God has given us alongside Jesus from his throne. Isn't that unreal to think about? Look, why am I telling you all this? Well, the reason's simple. It's because I want you to see That God, your father, and your father, the devil, offer to bless you in very similar ways. Look, they offer to bless you for very different reasons. I mean, going back to week one, we learned that the only reason the devil wants to give us anything is to destroy us. He's only going to give you what will wreck your life. Which is why he's so quick to give you whatever it is you think you need in order to exalt yourself. You see, he knows that the end result of self-exaltation is you and I walking in pride and and Bible people in the room. We know that pride always leads to what? A fall or destruction. That's exactly what he wants. But can I tell you that God makes an offer to you for a very different reason? Do you know the reason he wants to give you all that he has for you is because he's a good father who wants what's best for you? He wants you to have all that's his simply because he loves you and because you belong to him. And as a result of, of giving you all that belongs to him, his hope is that you take joy in him and delight in him as your good father so that by him exalting you, he might be exalted. And let me see how smart you are this morning. Do, do you know what God and the devil both want in order for you to claim their offers? You know what they want from you? It's the same thing. They both want you to bow. That's what they want. They want your knee to hit the floor and for you to surrender and submit your lives to them. Look, the devil, he wants you to bow so that he can destroy you. God wants you to bow so that he can exalt you. And again, the question you've got to answer is who are you bowing to? Are you bowing before God, your father? Like have you humbled yourself before him and confessed your need for him? Have you put your faith in his son Jesus as your savior and your Lord? The one who lived the perfect life you couldn't live, who died a death you deserved, who who rose from the dead three days later to conquer sin, death, and hell on your behalf. 
And if so, are you bowing to him in faith each day, trusting in him to give you all that he's promised to exalt you so that he might be exalted through you? Or, or, or are you bowing to your father, the devil? Instead of walking by faith, are you walking by sight, laying claim to all that you want right here, right now, so that you might be the one who's exalted? Look, if so, if you're that person walking the path of self-exaltation, I want to say something hard to you, but it's because I love you and I want the best for you. Look, if you're on that path, you have to know that your knee is currently bowed to the devil. And as long as you're bowed to him, you live in constant danger of having him absolutely wreck and destroy your life. Remember, everyone bows to someone. And the most important question to wrestle with right now in this moment is this, who are you bowing to? The second thing to consider is this. Not only does everyone bow to someone, but everyone worships something. Everyone worships something. Uh, I know for some of us, when we think about that word worship, our mind immediately goes to like singing songs like we did a few minutes ago. But do you know that worship is so much more than singing songs? Worship is about ascribing value or worth to someone or something, not just by your words, but by the way you live your life. And the question that we got to wrestle with personally is this, who or what am I worshiping? To whom or what have I ascribed the highest value and worth? And look, similar to bowing, you really only have two options. You're either ascribing value and worth to God or you're ascribing it to something or someone else. And when you ascribe it to something or someone else, it has a name. Do you know what it's called? It's called idolatry. Look, we've talked about idolatry here before at Crosspoint, but, but let me remind you of what it is, all right? Idolatry, it doesn't mean that you're setting up little wooden statues in your house and, and holding pagan worship services in your living room a few times a week. Idolatry simply means that there is something in your life that you love or value more than God, which means that an idol can take many different forms. An idol can be your money, can be your house, can be your car, can be uh, somebody you're in a relationship with, can be your kids, it can be your job, an idol can be the way you look. If there's anything in life that you love or value more than God, you're practicing idolatry, which means you are an idolater. And can I tell you, that's exactly what the devil, your enemy, wants you to be. It's what he wanted Jesus to be. He wanted Jesus to rip the value and worth that he had ascribed to God from him and to give it to him instead. And the trade-off was this. Jesus, if you'll do that, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth and all their glory so that you can use these things to ascribe value and worth to yourself, thereby exalting yourself in the earth and making yourself look great. And his offer to us is exactly the same. Do you know that the devil wants you to so love those earthly things that help you to exalt yourself that you'd be willing to do almost anything to get it? Even worship him? And the the reason he wants that's simple. Because there's nothing more that he wants than to steal honor and glory from God that he deserves. Remember, Satan's always wanted to be God. So what he wants to do is to rip honor and glory from God so that he can have it for himself. And he knows, look, please don't miss this. He knows that if he can cause you to love your earthly kingdom more than you love your king, that he'll be successful in doing so. So again, the big question you gotta answer for yourself is this, who or what are you worshiping? 
Is there anything in your life right now that you love or value more than God? If so, please hear me. If so, you are not only ascribing value and worth to that thing in your life, but you have also ripped value and worth from God that he's deserving of, and you have ascribed it instead to your enemy, the devil. And I'm going to make my case, all right? So stick with me. First uh, John 2, 15 through 17. Powerful passage of scripture. I want you to read it. Check it out. This is John writing, the, the disciple of Jesus. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, a few things about this passage. Uh, First, that word that you saw in the passage, world, it's not referring to the world in a general sense. That word world is referring to a system that Satan has set up in order to oppose God. And as we just read, that system is marked by three things. The desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life. Meaning that people who buy into this system, uh, they see things they want, they chase after their own desires, and as a result, they walk in pride and self-exaltation. Sounds a lot like we've covered in this series, doesn't it? Now look, here's John's instructions, real simple. Don't love that system. It's not from God. It's from the devil. That system, it's eventually going to pass away. And he even tells us that if, if you love that system, there's a chance that the love of God is not in you. That passage, man, makes so clear why saying yes to sin, especially the sin of self-exaltation, is such a big deal. You see, in doing so, in doing so, you again are ripping value and worth that God is deserving of, and you are giving it to your enemy, the devil. You are declaring by exalting yourself that you love that system that Satan has set up to oppose God more than you love God himself. And as long as you're doing that, look, as long as you're doing that, you are in danger of having the enemy wreck and destroy your life. So the big question we need to answer this point is how in the world do we avoid this temptation to exalt ourselves? Well, the good news is Jesus answers that question for us. So go back to Matthew 4. I want us to read his response together. Look at what he says with me. He says, back to the devil, be gone, Satan. I love that. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Be gone, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So two things that we learned from Jesus about overcoming this temptation of self-exaltation. And the first is this. In order to overcome it, you have to know your enemy and resist him. In the third temptation, we see Jesus doing something that he didn't do in the previous two. He actually calls Satan out by name and he tells him to get lost. Isn't that awesome? Which lets us know that Jesus was very clear on who it was that was tempting him. He knew it was his enemy. And because he recognized that it was his enemy, he was able to resist him in that moment. And look at me, here's the great news. You and I, we can learn to do the same. Do you know that when it comes to the temptation of self-exaltation, it is so easy to recognize the voice of the enemy in a moment? Here's how you know it's him. 
His voice is the one telling you to take the shortcut to the exaltation that you desire. And I'll prove my point. All right, think about what he said to Jesus. Again, Jesus was sent here by God the Father to suffer the cross, to pay for your sins and mine. And God had promised Jesus, after you suffer the cross, I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to make your name great in all the kingdoms of the world. The devil comes along and says, Jesus, why go through all that, man? Why do you want to suffer the cross? Why do you want to go through that kind of trial, suffer that kind of pain? Why do you want to wait to be exalted? Jesus, I can exalt you now. You don't have to suffer anything, man. You don't have to wait on what you want. Let me help you out. And again, his offer to us is the same. I want to read some verses together from Luke chapter 9. These are verses in which Jesus talks to his disciples about what it really means to follow him. And I want to use these verses to teach you how to recognize the voice of the enemy in that moment when he's tempting you to exalt yourself. Look at what Jesus says. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? Now look, stay with me. I'm going to go back to this first part of the passage. Here's what Satan wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that you can skip out on denying yourself, taking up your cross daily, living in obedience to Jesus, and actually following him and still be exalted. His message to you is this. Don't deny yourself, indulge yourself. Don't don't die to yourself, live for yourself. Don't follow Jesus, follow your own desires and make yourself great. Why in the world would you ever lose your life for his sake when you can take hold of your life and, and, and cause yourself to look important and significant in all the world? I mean, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? People are going to know your name. They're going to know that you matter. They're going to know that, that your life is, is worth something. Look at me. Anytime that shortcut is in front of you, you can know that the devil is the one tempting you. He's preaching. And if you give in to that temptation, I'm telling you, again, he's going to trap you and he's going to destroy you in order to steal from both you and God. But if you'll recognize the shortcut in that moment and you'll know that that it's him, just like Jesus knew it was him, well, you can do what Jesus did. You can resist him and you can tell him to get lost. Be gone, Satan. And the promise of James 4, 7 is this. He will leave. He'll leave. The second thing to know is this. In order to overcome the temptation to exalt yourself, you have to know your father and exalt him. So not only do you need to know your enemy and resist him, but you need to know your father and exalt him. Uh, We just read a moment ago Matthew 4.10. And in that verse, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.13 in order to remind the devil that there is only one being in the entire universe that is deserving of worship and exaltation. And that he's not it. God's it. And he also reminds the devil that there's only one being who deserves to be served. And again, he's not it. God's it. And by mentioning worship and service together, Jesus does us a favor. And he reminds us that that those two things are linked together. In other words, whatever a person worships, they will serve. You see, give me a week with you. I can follow you around for a week, put hidden cameras in your house. And we could tell you after a week's time what it is you worship. All we've got to do is watch what you serve. Like if you serve your desire for money and stuff, 
Well, we'd all know that what you worship is money and stuff. If you serve a desire for popularity, for power, well, we would all know that that's what you worship. You, you worship popularity and power. Um, if you're the person that, that serves a certain body image or the way you look, well, we know that's what you serve. You serve the way you look or your body image. If, if you're serving some kind of pleasure in your life, well, we know that pleasure, that's exactly what you worship. Again, whatever a person worships, they will serve. So how in the world do we avoid worshiping and serving those things that don't deserve to be worshipped or served? Well, look at me. It all goes back to this. You have to know your Father. You have to exalt Him. If you're taking notes, write this down. The easiest way to keep an idol off the throne of your heart is to keep God there in His rightful place. Let me say that again. The easiest way to keep an idol off the throne of your heart is to keep God there in his rightful place. And do you want to know how God, how to keep God there in his rightful place? You got to know him. You got to know him. You got to press into him each day through his word, through prayer. You got to make gatherings like the one we're in this morning important in your life. Do you know that we're not all here today just to mark off that I went to church this week a box on our religious checklist? The only reason we're here is to celebrate God and to know more of him. You gotta live in obedience to him. You gotta serve other people because in doing those things, you become like Jesus. And the more like Jesus you become, the more of the Father you know. And the more of the Father you know, the more you begin to realize what Jesus taught in Matthew 4, that he truly is the only one worthy of exaltation and worship. You see, when you know him, man, this desire rises up inside of you that no longer results in you exalting you but in you exalting Christ who lives in you. You see, you'll stop using all that God's given you and you'll stop pursuing more of what you don't already have in order to exalt yourself and to draw attention to you. I mean, isn't that oftentimes, let's be honest, isn't that oftentimes why we chase the things we chase? And I'm not just preaching at you, I'm guilty of this myself. We'll chase more money, more stuff, more power, more influence. Uh, We'll chase new relationships. We'll chase after all this stuff. Why? Because we want to draw attention to ourselves, don't we? We want to lift ourselves up. We want people to notice us. We want people to look at our lives and, and to say to themselves, I wish I could be them. Isn't this why some of us, look, I'm, I'm about to make it real right now, okay? Look, isn't this why some of us post the things we post on social media? I'll preach all day, won't it? Some of us, man, we put our statuses out there simply because we are trying to exalt ourselves. We want people to read what we've written and to notice us. We want some kind of response, don't we? Let me give you a tip for social media posts. You ready? Before you type anything, ask yourself this question. Who am I getting ready to exalt? Who am I getting ready to draw attention to? And if you answer that question and go, ah, it's gonna be me. Don't type it. Look at me. When you know the Father, you no longer care about drawing attention to you. All that matters is you draw attention to him. When you know him, you start to ask very different questions. Questions like these. How can I use my money and my stuff, not to exalt myself, but, but, but to exalt him and to help other people so that, so that people see him for who he truly is? How in the world do I use my influence, my abilities, uh, the platform God's given me, not to make much of me, but to make much of, of him so that people can see him for who he is? 
How can I use my Facebook status right now in this moment not to whine and complain and rant so that attention is drawn to me, but but how can I use it to make much of him so that people know the joy I have in him despite what's going on in my life? All I want is for attention and eyes to be on him, not on me. That's what happens when you know the Father, when you're diligent in knowing him. Look at me. You're busy asking those questions. The devil is going to have a hard time ever convincing you to exalt yourself in his place. You have to know the Father, and you have to exalt him. And that's a daily pursuit. One of my favorite guys from the entire Bible is a guy named John the Baptist. You guys know anything about John? He was a wild man. Lived in the desert, ate bugs and honey. He probably looked homeless. But he lived out there and he just preached God's coming kingdom all the time. Preached repentance. He's baptizing people in the Jordan River. Just a wild man. The Bible tells us that, that he had one purpose in life. To prepare the way for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, his entire life was all about exalting Jesus. And when Jesus finally showed up on the scene, uh, something interesting happened. People stopped going to John for their baptism, and they started going to Jesus instead. And this really jacked some of John's followers up, right? So much so that they, they came to him and said, John, do you know what's going on, bro? Our crowd's kind of dwindling over here. I think we need to uh, do something about this. And I love John's response to his followers in John 3. You need to read his response in, his, in its entirety this week because it's amazing. But he makes one statement in John 3, verse 30 that, that really captures the big idea. And here's what he says. He looks at his followers and he says, I have to decrease so that he can increase. I must become less so that he can become greater. Look, my life is all about exalting him. I'm not here to exalt me. I'm not here so that attention can be on me. And if I don't decrease well, he can't increase in and through my life. Can I tell you, man, that's my heart's desire for our church. I pray that we'd be a bunch of people who would live each day saying, not me. I don't want to be great. I'm not trying to increase. I'm not trying to become more. All I want is to get out of the way and to become less so that Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, the one who died for me can become greater so that he can be the one exalted. But can you imagine if every person who belongs to Cross Point City Church lived each day with that desire and actually lived it out? I'll tell you what I believe would happen. I believe we would find ourselves caught up in a move of God that could only be explained by him. If all of us each day were dying to self and decreasing so that he could increase, I believe that we would see people's lives being changed in ways that we've never seen lives changed before in this community and all over the world. So as we close today and as we close this series, I'm just asking us to make that our prayer. God, help me to become less so that you can become more. God, help me to know you so that I'm, I'm asking the right questions. Help me to recognize the enemy so that I can resist him. And God, help me to know and believe that you and you alone are the one deserving of worship and exaltation. I just want to invite you all over the room right now just to bow your heads and to close your eyes. And I don't want you just to pray that prayer for yourself. I want you to pray it for every person sitting in this room. I want you to pray it for the people that are going to be here at, at 10 and 11.30 and at 4.30 and, and 6 tonight. I want you to pray that God would prepare the hearts of the people that are going to walk in this room all day long. And that they might leave with that desire to decrease so that Christ can increase and become all the more.
the band, they're getting ready to sing a song over us. And as they do, again, I just want to invite you to pray. I'm not worried about you singing right now. I just want you to pray. Man, if you want to get out of your seat and and come to the front of this room and use it as an altar before the Lord, you do that. If you want to bow at your chair, you do that. However God's leading you, I just want you to, to obey him right now in this moment. God, there's nothing we want more right now than for you to be exalted in this place. God, we don't want to rip any of the value and worth that you're deserving of from you. So God, right now this moment, we declare we are bowing to you. We are are worshiping you. God, we want to know you. We want you to be made much of. So God, would you use this time to speak to us, to change us, to transform us, to decrease us, to make us less so that your son Jesus might become greater. God, we pray all this in his name, in his name alone. Amen.